as a society, we're better off if we're in an active, healthy, healthy, thriving community because we miss work less, we can be more productive at work, we can be better husbands and wives and dads and moms and brothers and sisters, right? And so, and we can be better community members and, and we can be more engaged in our community. I think uh, Howard Blackson puts it best, nothing kills apathy more than getting out and riding a bike. Hi, everyone. You've tuned in to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity in our communities. My name is John Simmerman, and I'm the founder of the Active Towns Initiative and your ever grateful host during this journey exploring how our built environments influence our health and well-being. It's so wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is Thursday, July 9th, 2020. In this episode, I'm delighted to feature a fascinating conversation with Brian Jones, city manager of the city of Eastvale, California. Brian has a diverse background in engineering, planning, and public administration, as well as some interesting pastimes, not the least of which includes winemaking and his social media alter ego as the transportation psychologist. So if you're ready, take a deep breath and let the therapy begin. Brian Jones, city manager with East Vale, California. Brian, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining me. I know that you must be incredibly busy right now. Why don't you start us off by telling us a little bit about East Vale? Many people probably don't know about East Vale. Well, East Vale is the second youngest city in the state of California, and uh, we uh, we're incorporated in 2010. We have about 70, 75,000 residents. Uh, we were largely created as a suburban bedroom community, and we have reserved 160 acres, which is about the size of downtown Pasadena or four Temecula's to create a downtown. Uh, so we kind of developed them backwards. We built our uh, bedroom community or our suburbs first uh, because we were created and our first homes were really built right around the turn of the century, the 21st century. And, uh, and then, so some of our oldest homes in the community are about 17, 19 years old, but we incorporated in 2010. And so we went from, you know, 50, 60 years ago, a whole bunch of wineries or, or, or vineyards and agriculture to then a dairy community when East LA in the late forties and fifties, uh, was building their suburban community. All the dairies moved out this direction in the Riverside County and Chino Hills and the Chino Valley. And then, and now it's morphed into a community and a city, the second youngest city in California. Fantastic. So Eastvale is a relatively young city in, in Southern California. And it's funny you mentioned the dairies because I totally remember driving out east uh, on Highway 60, I think it was, and the smell of the dairy back in the day. So that's, that's uh, you just brought back a, a vivid memory for me. So bring me up to speed. I mean, how are things going in re- relative to the global pandemic? How's, how's the city faring? 
Well, Friday, March 13th, when the President of the United States declared a national emergency, we, from that moment, uh, it was about noon Pacific Standard Time, we, we were watching it live. We were in a leadership development training with the management team. And from that moment, we worked all through the weekend at an emergency meeting or a special meeting on with the council on Sunday, uh, declared a, a local emergency on Tuesday morning in an emergency meeting. And, and since then, I think uh, within a 48 hour period, we stood up a virtual city hall. Uh, we brought laptops in and for our employees safety and health and and to continue to provide services i think that's the hardest thing for a lot of people to realize is we're not only responding to a, a global pandemic emergency but we also have to continue to provide all of our services as a city during this time and so we did that and uh, for the first six eight weeks my entire team was uh, teleworking and we were providing a virtual city hall. I was at city hall every day, along with another manager and a couple non-exempt employees and our permit techs, because we're still doing construction in the city of Eastville. Uh, we still have development, we still have investment going on and construction workers were essential workers. And so, and what we found also is that once people got stabilized, they were also making a lot of investments in their homes, uh, putting in pat patios, solar panels, Tesla power packs, pools, whatever. Um, and so we were seeing a lot of investments, gardening, people were trying to create activities and time for their kids and themselves to keep themselves busy during the stay at home time. We also saw a phenomenon in our community, which was a lot of people got out and got active in our community. And they, they were walking and a, a Just Moves campaign started in Eastvale uh, on Facebook and social media. And it's really about getting active and being healthy. Um, and so people are highlighting how they're doing that in our community and walking as families. And I think dogs got more walks during the, that time period uh, than any other time. And some dogs were like, hey, give us a break. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we were seeing a lot of people use our neighborhoods as their bike boulevards and, and getting through subdivisions that, that is kind of like a mousetrap. They wind their way through to avoid the bigger streets, but to get to the businesses or to the restaurants for takeout um, because they had time to go do that. And, and we stopped and smelled the roses a little bit in our community, which was was nice. And we were able to connect in our community in a different way, even because we were a city founded on social media. Uh, and so that, that's a phenomenon that's unique to our community as well. Yeah, yeah, th those are great points. So it's a obviously we just said it's a relatively new city and talk a little bit about the governance of the city. How is it structured? Is it a strong mayor system or uh, how, how does that work? Uh, we we have a, a council for a council city manager form of government. Uh, so we have a, a, a city council that is elected by districts. We have five districts in our community. We're very fortunate that our council works as one body rather than their own individual districts because our city is on the medium size of 75,000 people. So um, they all work together and and I work for them and and then I run the city as a city manager and run the operations of the city. So they're kind of a board, uh, a policy direction uh, of where we're going. And then I implement that as the operations on a daily basis. Yeah, you're like the COO, you're that chief operations officer that's out there. They're the CEO, the COO combination, yes. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. 
So earlier you mentioned a little bit about how people are getting out on their streets and and getting active and trying to create that physical distancing that's obviously quite necessary given the pandemic. Uh, what's the status of the, the the community in terms of trails and pathways and bike lanes and parks and things of that nature? It, well, being a young city, trails and parks, uh, we have a number of amazing parks in our community. So um, so we, we have a parks district in our community and our parks are one of our greatest assets. Getting to our parks is sometimes an adventure. And so, it, it, you know, the sidewalks are four or five feet wide uh, to get there, or the bike lane stop and go. And we don't have a complete network of trails, but we have some utility easements and, and uh, we have some really wide and big streets. And so we are working to help that facilitate that. And we just won two active transportation planning grants, or, or actually one, but it's for two corridors that will go north-south through our community on Scholar Way, which has a number of schools, thus it's called Scholar Way. And then the other is Harrison, and we're going to have trails run north-south, which will connect to the regional Santa Ana River Trail uh, that runs along the southern border of our, our town. And one of the trails on Scholar Way will connect our south part of our community, which is only three three by four uh, square miles to our northern part. And it will connect with our downtown, which we have reserved for 160 acres. So uh, that, that'll be a nice corridor where people can choose to walk or bike to the downtown, which will be designed differently than the suburbs. Um, and so that's going to be a phenomenon that we're going to have to overcome uh, as we create that downtown. The density is going to be different. The homes are going to look different. The housing is going to look different. The retail is going to look different. Um, it'll probably have a main street of some sort. It'll have, it'll be more focused on creating experiences and a destination and creating a heartbeat of a community uh, where a shopping center often it could be more can defined as a lung. The blood still flows through the lung, but it doesn't pump the blood. And a downtown is the heartbeat and the economic engine of, of a of a, t a community. So we, that's what we're really working on, uh, focusing on right now as a city. With that in mind, in the, the city's really only about 10 years, you said 2010, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So prior to that, was this unincorporated Riverside County? It's unincorporated Riverside County. We're the most Northwest city in Riverside County. We're a quick shot on the well, it's not quick driving on the 91 or the 60 or the 10, but distance wise, we're not that far from Orange County and Los Angeles and the port of Long Beach. And so, um, you know, like we have an Amazon fulfillment center in Eastvale that is Long Beach LG, LGB3. And that's the Amazon fulfillment center for, and they're named after airports. And so that, that is a neat component uh, that is, exists in our city. So six or 9,000 employees are at, at the most state-of-the-art Amazon fulfillment center in the world right here in Eastvale. Do you guys have any access to wilderness? Do you, I know some of the cities in, in that area sort of abut next to some um, undeveloped mountainous areas. So, so you can see mountains from us on a clear day when we don't have smog to the north uh, um, from Los Angeles. And you can see the, the mountain range uh, that is south of the 91 down by, by Corona and Norco has some hills as well. So you can see them. And then the Santa Ana River Basin is also a wilderness area and it has been largely preserved. There's a trail that runs through there. So there are opportunities, but we are surrounded by 
Chino, Ontario, and Harupa Valley, and Norco. So we're landlocked as a city. Yeah, and I see you do have that regional park that's over there by the 71 as well. Yes, the Prado Basin. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And 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 like you said earlier, the part of the biggest challenges are having active mobility connectivity to said parks. Right. And we have this amazing school district in our city, Corona Norco Unified School District, and our high school has 4,800 students. So just imagine getting 4,800 students to that high school. And some people will say, wow, it takes me 25 or 30 minutes to drive to the high school. And I said, well, our city is only three miles by four miles. You could walk from one distance of our city to another in 30 or 45 minutes. Um, you could ride a bike in 10 or 15 minutes, you know, when the streets are fast and 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 there's a lot of people dropping off at the same time. So we, we, we that's a, a phenomenon that we have to do. Our campuses are really big um, because they were built in that era of schools when, uh, you know, our elementary schools have 1600 students at them or so they're just bigger. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll give some context here. Uh, back in the mid 1990s, I lived in Brea, which was, you know, a North Orange County suburban area. And most of our suburban communities there had uh, your, your your typical cul-de-sacs, but each of the cul-de-sacs or most of the cul-de-sacs were were penetrated with a walk and bike trail. And then there was a network of trails that went through green spaces that helped connect you to parks. In fact, many of them served as linear parks. Uh, as well as uh, many of the uh, elementary schools and many uh, meaningful destinations. Did, do you have any of that happening in, in some of the, those older suburban uh, uh, developments that you have? So most of our suburbs were, were built with a county standard before we were incorporated. And we have sound walls around them. And, and there's uh, very few access points into the a quarter mile um, subdivision. You'll have usually one or on each main street around it. Um, and we have a half mile grid, uh, major street. So uh, most of them are three to five lanes, six lanes around uh, the, the, the subdivisions. And so, you know, there's limited access points into the subdivision and then sound walls all around them. So. Understood. So <laughs> when we think of like the, the, the worst nightmare when it comes to <laughs> subdivision sort of development and walls and, and all that kind of stuff, limited access and filtering the traffic back out onto the major corridors. Yeah, it's pretty much that. It, it is it is a challenge, but, you know, that we have a lot of real estate right away that's been reserved that could be repurposed or transformed. And we also have to be sensitive as people came here. They, they like big, fast, wide roadways, and they chose the city for that. But we have some backed up landscape and sidewalks and, and wide travel lanes that could be uh, reduced, and but without reducing the number of travel lanes, they still want their travel lanes. And so you have to work with the community of where the community is at and how do you help improve the connectivity and mobility of our community. But I think as COVID-19 has happened, people have gotten out and walked and biked more. And so they're starting to realize, wait, this is different. Uh, um, and, and where are the trails that we can go with with our kids so that we're, our kids aren't on roadways right next to really fast roadways uh, or fast moving cars. So we've gotten a lot of feedback and comment from some of our residents on that. Um, so 
we'll see how this all evolves as we we're launching an Eastfeld 2040 plan, uh, which is technically and 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 wonky planning terms is our general plan. But you know, as we turn 10, we're starting to ask the community, okay, we're turning 10. What do we want to be when we're 30? And then what are the steps that we need to be putting in there to evolve over time um, and incrementally? Um, as most cities are des- developed incrementally, we were the fastest growing city for a number of years when we went from a million cows to 75,000 residents over about a decade and a half time. So, uh, uh, you know, that, that transformation was pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I hear it in your voice. There's a little bit of this balancing of the dreams and visions of the ideal versus the, the fiscal and the political realities of what you have on the ground. Well, it, 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 so it, it, it is a, a juggling act of at what point is the community ready for things? You know, we have a number of rev- residents that say we have to go outside of the community to go to a nice restaurant or all we have in our community is fast food or, or drive throughs or quick serve restaurants. And so when we want to go to a nice steak restaurant um, and, and so we looked at the data and sure enough, $71 million of leakage is leaving our city going somewhere else. To, to someplace else, right? And, you know, whether it's the, the more established or older cities that have that heartbeat, that downtown, that destination, that place where people want to go and have an experience. And so that's something that we have to work hard to create in our community. If you are a bedroom community and you start as a bedroom community, a lot of people commute far distances for their jobs. And so as we bring a daytime population here and we bring the other thing is, is our housing choices are fairly limited. We have 3,500 to 4,700 square foot homes, and we have a plethora of those. But if you become a retirement age and you don't have kids living in your house anymore, and where do you step down to? And so those are the things that we're working on now is do where are our apartments, where are our condos, where, where when you go off to college and you want to move back to this amazing city that you grew up in, where, where do you live there? Or if you want to downsize when you get older or the suburban uh, house isn't exactly what you need or want, you're done uh, cleaning four bathrooms in your home. You only want two bathrooms and, and you're empty nesters. And so we, you know, we want to work on creating that housing for all um, in our community and all needs and, and so that everybody can be in our community. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, earlier you mentioned a little bit about how people were rediscovering the streetscape and they're getting out and walking and biking and, and rolling, I'm sure of all different, uh, types of, uh, devices. That's a bit of a psychological shift because that's kind of reframing that, you know, that's an interesting thing. And it actually, the reason why it's so interesting to me is because it also brings up uh, a little bit about your background. Many people may not know that, you know, you have a background in engineering and public administration and consulting, viniculture, you're a winemaker. Yes. And also psychology, because you you are a specialist in the very, very rare subspecialty of transportation psychology. <laughs> Talk a little bit about your alter ego of transportation psychology. Well, I don't know, it was a number of years ago, uh, that I started a page on Facebook called Transportation Psychologists. I think, I, I don't know where we're at number of followers now. I think it, it might be upwards of 13,000 or something like that. But uh, um, there's a lot of engagement in it. 
And, and when it, I just basically brought two words together that have never been brought together before. And uh, so somebody said, is there a school to get become a transportation psychologist? And there's no school and there's no degree. There's no certification to become a, a transportation psychologist. It was just two words brought together. And when you think about transportation, that's how people move and connect. And psychology is about how people think and behave. And, and psychology is the root of all leadership. And so if you, you know, a lot of times when you do psychology 101 in college, you're studying all the things that, the, the, the weird things that happen in people's minds or the, the disorders, but really psychology is about how people think and behave. And so as a psychologist, you're always studying how people behave, how organizations need to, to run, how teams function. And so um, it's a passion of mine, of self-awareness and self-development and, and team development and community development. And it, and it all is very important. Uh, and, in our professions of planning and engineering, we really got away. And, and, you know, I'm a professional engineer and a professional planner and my AICP as well. And I came up through the public works and planning and worked with economic development and worked with communication. And I really pride myself on working across disciplines or being the bridge between disciplines because often government works as silos. And so you have a planner and an engineer and the planners go, the engineers don't know what we're talking about. And the engineers say the planners don't know what the, you know, one's using a fine line and one's using a marker or a crown or, and has a vision. And then one's like focused on the implementation. And if you don't have somebody bringing those two groups together, the vision can often get lost in the implementation or the implementation doesn't seek to understand the vision. And we see that as we've standardized a lot of communities uh, and we stop designing communities and we stop creating experiences for communities. We started using equations and using studies based on cars rather than on human behavior. And so it's just a paradigm shift of what is important. And when you ask people, where do you go on vacation and what do you like about the coolest place on vacation? They're like, I love that. I don't have to drive a car in New York city. Or when I go to Charleston, I can walk anywhere I want or Savannah or, you know, all these great cities. And it was like, well, you know, those cities were designed by landscape architects. They weren't even designed by planners or engineers. Um, uh, the, the homesteads, the, the downtown Chicago, right. Uh, the Daniel Burnham's right. And, and so, in my consulting career, I got to hang out with some incredible landscape architects and Congress of New Urbanism, people that are working across disciplines, but understand the need for human interaction and connection, because that is the definition of community. The word unity is in the word community, right? And so it's about bringing people together. It's about connecting them. And there might be part of this that could be part of a solution towards what we're, we're seeing with the protests right now with Black Lives Matter in, in that how we design our community has either helped us or hindered us from connecting and seeking to understand one another and, and how do we give each other the, uh, uh, the benefit of the doubt and seek to understand the heart of each other rather than the outside of each other, right? And, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunities there as planners, engineers, landscape architects. And I worked for a, a private firm at one point it was always fun to see when a landscape architect led a design project, there, the human experience was always created. When an engineer led the project, the, the human element 
was lost. It was always, oh, well, here's your space landscape architect, plant some row crops. But the landscape architect said, well, you can put a terminal vista in here. You could put a signature tree here. You could create the tree. Let's go out and walk on the sidewalk that's four feet wide versus five feet versus eight feet to understand the difference in how people feel comfortable or the separated sidewalk versus the monolithic sidewalk and all these different things and really comparing those things and asking people, what do you really value? Because oftentimes what people get is based on policies, but we don't have the feedback loop as government to say, are we really getting what we we need and we want? But a lot of times I, I heard from one person describe it one time, if people eat hot dogs every day, and 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 you ask them, have you ever had a bacon wrap filet mignon? And they're like, why would I have a bacon wrap filet mignon? I I have hot dogs, right? Um, well, and sometimes they just need to try that bacon wrap filet mignon or that nice marbleized ribeye. And then they're like, why am I always eating hot dogs? I could have this nicer piece of meat, um, but I got to do something different, right? And that change is not easy. But as this COVID nineteen happened. We saw people change overnight. Uh, um, and so sometimes when you're forced to change or do something, it, it allows you to say, hmm, let me try this. This might not be that bad. Um, and so that's where the psychology comes into play. And, you know, I think as you look at some communities, we have all streets look the same. And it's like, well, how do you know which street you're on? The land, the trees look the same, the sidewalk looks the same, the, the street name signs look the same, everything looks the same. And, and so you have to rely on your Google app or your, your smartphone app or whatever uh, to know where you're at in your community. But in older cities, you can say, well, that landmark or that tree or this street is named Maple Tree and it has maples on it. And this street is named Palm Tree and it has palms on it, right? Um, and so you, you have these unique differentiating characteristics of neighborhoods and things are unique and special because they were designed, not because we painted by color and we stayed within the lines all the time. When we return, Brian talks about the importance of connecting with our neighbors, the power of the public realm, and provides more detail on the development plans of Eastvale's future downtown district. But first, a quick word about our sponsors for this episode, the generous contributors to Active Towns, including our monthly donors out on our various platforms, Patreon, Facebook, and via our donate page on our website. I really appreciate your continued support of the initiative. I simply could not produce this content without your assistance. So thank you. For those of you in a position to help out, please consider becoming a contributor. Trust me when I say it, no amount is too small, as it all adds up and helps to offset our monthly obligations in this movement to promote a culture of activity for all ages and abilities. And I'm super excited to let you know that we've just launched a t-shirt fundraising initiative. So this is your opportunity to get a limited edition Active Towns Culture of Activity short sleeve or long sleeve performance t-shirt. I'll provide all the links in the show notes, or you can just go to activetowns.org slash donate for more information, including our new hats by Headsweats and two bandanas. Those are microfiber net gaiters and face coverings by Pandana USA. Okay, 
That's all for this break. Let's get back to our conversation with Brian Jones. When we think about people-oriented design and designing communities that encourage the behavior that we aspire towards and, and we're like, yes, we want social interaction. Yes, we want physical activity and healthy living and all these types of things. It really helps. But what was interesting about this particular pandemic is it's the first time in many, many years where without the design being the the critical factor, you just have a situation overnight sort of changed and there was this pent-up demand, this, this inherent desire to be able to get out of the house. You know, maybe it was after a week, maybe it was after two weeks of being sort of in quarantine. And they're just like, I need to get out and I need to move and I need some fresh air. And it's like, all of a sudden, people were rediscovering their neighborhoods, rediscovering their cities. And... Oh, and by the way, that sidewalk's only four feet wide, so we're taking over the streets. The, the number of ve- motor vehicles has decreased dramatically anyways. And so it, it's very, very interesting to see that even without design, we had people taking care of that inherent desire to get in some physical activity. So just magnificent from a psychological experiment and a human behavior experiment pers- you know, perspective. From humans, we're, we're designed to move and we need to be have movement uh, so that we can stay healthy. And, and we have this cortisone uh, and endorphins that we need that we get from exercising and, and engaging. Um, and then some of us get energy from interacting with other people. So I'm an extrovert and I get inter- I get energy from talking with you. Uh, other people get energy from being separate from you. Right. And so we need all different types of opportunities. And some people need to be forced to do some things to interact with other people. And, and we find that in some of our subdivisions that like there was a story one time that the neighborhood watch program sh- shared with me uh, that a moving van showed up across the street and, and the neighbors were like, Oh man, we never got to meet our neighbors that moved in there a year or two ago, literally across the residential street. And, and, and the, then the moving van left and they didn't say goodbye cause they never said hello. And then their their neighbors came back, or a few days later, their neighbors came back from vacation, and and they said, "Where's all of our stuff in our home?" And they said, "Well, we thought you moved. Uh, you got a moving van out there, right?" And that's really like the stimulus of we have to create a program like the Neighborhood Watch program to connect our neighborhoods and have block parties and have barbecues out on driveways so that you get to know your neighbors, so that if something suspicious is going in on in your neighborhood. You can say something, you can call somebody, you can check in on your neighbor. Hey, I haven't seen their car move in a while. I should go over and knock on the door and see if they're doing okay, right? Where instead, I think a lot of people were looking at government as the solution or in the hub. And so if government is always looked to as the solution, we have to create a program to do it. Where what I like to do and shift it a little bit is how do we put the problem in the middle and the government is one of the stakeholders along with the community people that we can solve the problem together. We're not looking at government to solve the problem, but how do we as a community come together and solve the problem? And so in Eastville, we're very fortunate. We have this 
this amazing neighborhood watch program. And it was started because our mailboxes were getting broken into. And, and we wanted to address the, and so a couple residents, three residents, the two eventually became city council members and one's our current mayor. They started a neighborhood watch program and they started on social media and they said, well, rather than just doing it for our neighborhood, let's do it for the entire city. And so we have 29 neighborhoods in our city and they're all connected with sub pages on Facebook. And there's a overarching mother Facebook page for our neighborhood crime watch page. And it was amazing. We started that two and a half years ago or something like that. We never started it with the idea that it could be used during a pandemic. But when the pandemic happened and everybody was searching for toilet paper and milk and diapers and all those essential items that were off the shelf because people were hoarding them, um, we found out that we made like seven or 800 generous contributions by the Eastville Operation Giving page that was on the Crime Watch page. If you needed something, all you had to do is say, hey, I need, I, I need toilet paper. And somebody else would just generously give it to you, right? Without any expectation of anything in return, no, no money exchange or it wasn't being sold. People in our community started giving each other. And, and, and it was like, oh, and, and then somebody would say, well, I have toilet paper and you need milk and I got an extra gallon of milk. And all of a sudden the community was starting to come together. I'll leave it on your doorstep for you. Uh, so we don't have to interact because I don't want to get COVID from you. Um, but we saw that phenomenon happen in our community, but that Eastville crime watch page has also helped solve crimes in our, in our community and, and really taken our community up to the next level of connectedness and, and we have like a doorbell app program on there where if you have a doorbell or a, or a ring app or if you have video cameras on your house so that if something happens in your our law enforcement know exactly who everybody in the community has that and they can get the video and see the make, the model, the person, whatever that stole your package off your dry, your doorstep or was in your neighborhood or the, the, the suspicious activity. And we can piece the evidence together and help solve crimes really uh, quickly. And so it's been a real fun, neat thing to see in our community of, of how that has happened. Yeah. And I also wonder whether this pandemic is creating a situation where people who have previously really only been connected through social media and those online platforms, whether they start actually physically meeting, obviously physically distanced, but at the same time, actually running into each other out on their, their, their walks, their wellness walks, because that's, that's when things get really, really special. I mean, social media and, and those online communities are so special. I mean, the heck that's how you and I met, you know, and then, and then we had the opportunity to meet in person and, and you even gracious enough with your wife to, to host me uh, during one of my active towns tours a couple of years ago. So it just, it makes me wonder whether this is a, is a situation that's going to result in additional sociability and connectivity that maybe initially started out online. You know, I, I definitely think there's an opportunity, you know, our city was founded on social media and now we need to create the places and the, the, the public realm. Victor Dover just did an amazing video from Dover Cole on the public realm a couple of days ago. And it's the space between the buildings. What experience does it create for you? What ability does it have for us to connect with each other on the human scale? We just had a, a demonstration, a protest in our community over, uh, last Sunday. 
And there, there's an amazing story that came out of it. And, and I'm, I'm very blessed as a city manager that I am very fortunate to get to experience a lot of blessings that happen in our community and, and the giving that happens and the generosity that happens in the community and the, and the, and, and I don't take that lightly. And so I always like to share those stories, but we had a young sophomore high school student that is black and she came from a, a home that she was striving to have a female role model in her life. And we had a deputy who happened to be a school site resource officer at the high school. They made a connection while she was a school site resource officer. And it didn't start out as roses and, and whatnot. It was a very adversarial start. And, and, but, it, but it was because the deputy said, hey, good morning. How are you doing? Right. Why are you talking to me? Right. And, and the, it evolved in that they became some great friends and role models where this young lady now wants to become a deputy, right? But during this demonstration and protest, she showed up to the demonstration for Black Lives Matters. And the deputy was there to protect the demonstrators, to protect the businesses, and to protect the residents of the community. And she was on the line. And, and she was going to hold the line. Young girls saw her and there's a video about it uh, that's been circulating and we're going to tell a story about it. Um, but this young girl saw her on the line and said, wait, I'm not supposed to like you, um, and, but I love you. And, and, and it's because she looked past the badge and she saw the heart of the deputy, right? Just like the deputy looked past the skin color and saw the heart of the young girl in there. And I think as communities, we need to be looking at each other's hearts not our behaviors, not our actions all the time, not our words, because sometimes we don't think before we speak. Um, sometimes, and in this day and age, ignorance is no longer bliss. So we have to be careful about what we say because it does hurt other people. But we, we need to have those conversations and those connections as individuals, as community members, and, and break down some of the barriers that are happening so that we can seek to understand each other and you can't do that while you're whizzing by each other at 55 miles an hour in a car. You can do that in a place. You can do that on a patio, or you can do that in a park, or on a sports team, or in a classroom, or at a school, or in a park, you know, where, or on a trail. You can have those connections and break down those things. I think as city leaders, we have to help make sure that how we design our communities are helping foster that opportunity for everyone to thrive in our community, but also the people that haven't been able to thrive in the community. And how do we engage them in the conversation? How do we allow them to be seen in our organizations and agencies, but also how do we allow them to be heard and have an impact of what's important to them in their cultures? Eastvale is a super minority majority uh, community. We have a large uh, Hispanic, Latino, Mexican culture. We have a large Asian culture. We have a, a, a pretty decent sized black uh, African-American culture in, in our community. And we have a large Indian Sikh culture in our community. And it's amazing through this COVID-19, the generosity of, of these different cultural groups that our Eastville Chinese American Association handed out 
thousands of masks that we created a little drive through in front of city hall where you could come and get masks and the kids decorated these envelopes. And it was about kindness. It was about generosity. It was about giving our Sikh community brought food in for our deputies and firefighters and our staff to say thank you from the Sikh community. But they wanted to bridge that connection and gap that was happening. And, and, and you look at our parks and our Indian community wants to play cricket, but we don't have cricket fields yet. And so, but it's a huge sport worldwide, just not as big in the United States, but we have 500 people in our community that want to play cricket every Sunday morning. Right. And, and so that's a pretty good sized population that wants to play cricket and they're creating the next generation of cricket players. And, and maybe someday we'll have the cricket national t- team or something in Eastvale. And, and so that's kind of the amazing stuff that goes on in our community. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. So you mentioned earlier the the downtown and the the vision of of moving that along. Where are we at with that? So um, the dairy farmer still owns the land, and we're waiting for the dairy farmer to change that land uh, uh, to somebody that has the ability to develop that land. And then what we have to do is identify the long term vision, and then how do we get there incrementally? Uh, because that's how downtowns start downtown start one building then a block then the other side of the block then then they go a couple more blocks and then they come back to the original block and they go up two or three stories right uh, or they turn up transform a parking lot in, into a, a parking structure and and a bigger building um, and so that's how downtowns are created and so uh, whereas subdivisions are created there the land is subdivided and all the houses go up within about three to three to 12 months and all the community just happens overnight where downtowns happen more incrementally and over time. And so uh, we have a master plan that has CEQA approval, a California Environmental Quality Act approval. And so then it's about taking that, that has huge ranges and opportunities, but it's really about creating a connected grid system where walkability and bikeability and, and a destination for people. And so that you can, live in an apartment or a condo and walk to a restaurant and also walk to the corner store and also walk to have a cup of coffee where you don't have to necessarily go through a drive through Starbucks where you can sit out on the patio and see your neighbors walk by or, or, uh, or a front porch or those kind of things. And so we're going to work to figure out what is the right appropriate design for our community. But we're seeing a lot of people take interest in Eastvale as we're putting Eastvale on the map and helping overcome that where's Eastvel question that we get all the time. Well, Eastvel is going to be quickly become the greatest city in the Inland Empire. And when you think about the 15 corridor from Corona to Norco to Eastvale to Ontario to Rancho Cucamonga, that's one of the fastest growing economic regions in all of the, the, the nation. And if you have commerce coming that's going anywhere else, you have the 10 and the, uh, the 15 that are taking you to everywhere else in the nation on, on truck or on rail. And the ships are coming into the Long Beach and Los Angeles ports and, and coming into the Inland Empire. So all merchandise and, and commerce is coming through the Inland Empire to go to the rest of the nation or it's coming from the rest of the nation and going to the rest of the globe. And, and we need to capitalize on that and work on that take that into account. You've been involved with this. You've been, as you mentioned, you've been working with multitude of different cities uh, over the many years. 
What advice do you have for people who are out there in their communities uh, and they want to make a difference? They want to see their communities uh, become healthier, uh, more vibrant places. What advice would you have for them? Do something. <laughs> you know, it's it, um, you have to get over the word that something is impossible and you have to start believing that the word impossible means I'm possible. If everybody in our communities does one thing in a positive way to create a connection with somebody else in the community, every one of our communities will be richer because of it. We will have richer experiences. Uh, we will break down barriers. We will break down silos. If we take one positive uh, step, and, and, and it's more than just posting something on social media, it's about taking action and making connections in the community. It, you know, whether you start a Bible study or, or a book club or, a, a, um, you know, we have moms that walk in the morning together and they're their support system, uh, whether it's business leaders that gather together and figure out how we can do better business to business interactions, whether it's the chamber, whether it's coming to a council meeting and just listening to the thing or, or reading a council agenda item, they, they can be over daunting or reaching out to somebody in the community or, or being part of a little league or a PTA or everybody has to be doing something. You can't look to the government to do it or solve it. You can't look to say, Oh, I wish somebody else will do this. Right. And some people are idea people and some people are doers. So sometimes we need to marry the idea people and the doer people together. I think everything starts with one, you know, like, the river flowing to the ocean starts with one raindrop or one snowflake up on the mountain. And then it flows down and, and a creek, which joins with another creek, which comes a river, a river tributary, and then it flows out to the ocean, right? Or it stops at a dam in some cases, right? But we as a society have to realize that you can create a ripple effect in the lake by, by throwing a pebble in it. And you can make a difference. And, you know, you have to show up and vote. You also have to be careful because we watch things where people jump on bandwagons two weeks on social media. And, and it's like everything is this for two weeks. And then all of a sudden it's, it moves on to another thing. And it's like something has to be more sustainable than just a two week movement. Two weeks isn't going to change anything. And so we, we really have to think about what do we want our interactions to result in? And I think that is the thing that I always challenge my team. At, at what, what is the outcome that we want or what's the results or the performance that we're, in, we're anticipating? And sometimes we get surprised and it doesn't end up there and it ends out up, up better. But oftentimes we put things through a process and it spits something out the other end. And everybody's like, hmm, is that what really what we want? Um, and we don't have that feedback loop to say, was the process broken, Right. And how do we create that process with a desired so that the process isn't bigger than the result or more cumbersome or more onerous or it has the right amount of community engagement or and involvement? I think that I think it's it's just taking one step, extending the olive branch, being the bigger person, saying I'm sorry, asking questions. I, I think the, these interviews are amazing, John, where you just ask questions. But I think we have to ask our neighbors questions. How are you doing? And really mean it. How can I support you today? And really mean it, right? What, what are you, what are your challenges or struggles? And, and can we work together to overcome them? What are, what are the problems that you're seeing in this community? 
or in your community or in your neighborhood or on your block, right? I mean, just, that's a, a good place to start. Go make some cookies or brownies or something and take them to your neighbors and introduce yourself and, and say, hey, I'm your neighbor. I live two doors down the street. I know we've lived here for 10 years and never got to know each other, but just wanted to extend my name and here's my contact information. And oh, by the way, I'm going to have a, a barbecue on my driveway, right? And I'd love for you to come over and enjoy and get connected with others on the community kind of thing. I think that's, I think we need more of that in our society. Well, what I love about that, Brian, is that it it really gives each person an opportunity to start that journey, that first step of the journey, based on where they are at currently. Because if they all if they're in a situation where they don't know who their neighbors are across the street or next door, hey, that's a great pl- first place to start, right there. Right. We have a we have a saying: two plus two equals five in our community and and if you know the neighbor in front of you and on each side of you and behind you you now have five connections there's five people connected in in your neighborhood right and um that come that came from our neighborhood watch program uh, uh, don pettinger and there's a lot to that and then you then all of a sudden if everyone on your block knows five people then you're dealing with a challenge or you know whatever it's like oh well i know so-and-so that i can connect you with right and with social media, we're almost like one degree of separation from anyone we want to be connected with. And you and I, you're in Texas and, and, and I'm in California and we stay connected on social media. And then when we're in each other's states or in, at a conference together, we always connect with each other. Um, and I think that's the, the really cool thing is there's a lot of power and information out there. But we also need to use a lot of discernment. Is this information real or true? And and why am I reacting a certain way or not reacting a certain way to the information that I'm hearing and, and use that critical thought in our, in our communities. Brian, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure we talk about today? You know, um, I, I value what you're doing with active towns, John, and, and really creating that movement and bringing awareness to the need for human activity. We spend a lot of money on healthcare which if we can get infiltrated into our bigger organizations, into our schools and into our engineering societies and our, our planners and realize that, you know, we can make activity a part of our daily life by how we design our communities. And then you don't have to go to a gym, which is closed right now because of COVID-19, because you can be active in your community by just walking and there's a park bench, which you can do uh, dips and, and there's a, a tree branch that you can do pull-ups on or, or what are a bar along the trail that you, and I think that is uh, an important part of, can you get your 10,000 steps in from where you live? Or do you have to drive to a gym, circle around the parking lot in the gym to go in to walk your 10,000 steps on a treadmill? And some people can do that, but that's what takes a lot of energy and time to walk your 10,000 steps, you know, how do we, how do we get our 10,000 steps into our daily life and activity? And, and a lot of it is, well, is it as easy and convenient to walk as it is to drive? And, and I'm not saying to make driving more difficult. What I'm just saying is make walking easier, right? And, and what, what are the barriers to having a walkable community? Well, you put up walls and big roads and fast roads and big parking lots and no shade trees. And, you know, all of a sudden 
This isn't a sound wall that the vehicle noise is reverberating on. It all of a sudden is not a pleasant environment to walk in or there's not stimulus along the roadway to see and, and, and stop and smell the roses. And so, or water or, or benches or, you know, all these different things. And so, or public art, those are all components that make active and healthy, thriving communities. And I think everybody wants to live in an active, healthy, thriving community. Um, and we're, we're, as a society, we're better off if we're in an active, healthy, healthy, thriving community because we miss work less. We can be more productive at work. We can be better husbands and wives and dads and moms and brothers and sisters, right? And so, and we can be better community members and, and we can be more engaged in our community. I think uh, Howard Blackson puts it best, nothing kills apathy more than getting out and riding a bike because you get to see your community and engineers spend millions of dollars doing these assessments on their roadways to figure out where they're deteriorating. I'm like, if you just get out on a ride or bike, you're going to feel it over uh, in your first half mile, if your roadways are in good shape or bad shape, right? Um, because <laughs> as, as you're riding your bike along a, a roadway. So I don't know, that's that I, I appreciate what you're doing and, and you've traveled the, the nation highlighting the successes of many communities and telling their story. And I think we need champions like you telling our stories at the local level on a national broad so that we can, we don't have to be the first. We can say, well, somebody else has already done it. Here's a great example of the solution. And this is the benefits and these are the rewards and this is the final financial economic prosperity. And so, you know, I, I see a lot of local government agencies struggle with public safety. Well, you're only struggling with public safety because of how you designed your community and maybe also some of your negotiations uh, for, for, for what you can afford. But if you design your community and it doesn't create a resiliency and a sustainability and a value and a revenue stream that can provide the law enforcement that you need or the fire that you, the fire service that you need in your community, you need to rethink how you're doing the land use planning uh, because that's where the economic revenue comes from. And you can design it in one way, which is the easy way or the popular way, but it might not be the right way results in the revenue streams. And, and so what there's a saying that in one of my cities that I worked in, what's popular and easy is not always right. And what is right is not always popular and easy, right? Wonderful. Well, hey, thank you so very much. I really do appreciate those kind words. And I'm excited about Eastvale. I mean, you have meaningful destinations within short distances, and it sounds like it's a matter of sort of redefining and reimagining those public right-of-ways and maybe taking advantage of some uh, right-of-ways that are you know, currently not being utilized. Good stuff. I'm super, super stoked for you. I look forward to helping you out any way I can. Please stay in touch. And thank you for uh, joining me here on the Active Towns podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me on. Have a great day. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Brian Jones, the transportation psychologist and city manager for Eastvale, California. I've included some helpful links so that you can follow along with his work as well as access that public realm video he mentioned produced by our past Active Towns podcast guest, Victor Dover. Also included in the show notes are links to our t-shirt fundraiser and all of our other donation options. I hope you will consider making a contribution. 
One last thing before we part ways. If you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, please be sure to subscribe on your preferred listening platform and help us grow the audience by telling a friend or two. Okay, that's all for now. Please take care of yourselves and one another. Until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers. Thank you.